Thank you, Sean and the band. Um, he doesn't want to be singled out, but Chris has, uh, that was Chris's first time on the band this morning, and thank you, Chris, for leading us. That was wonderful. And, and Chris, to me, represents someone who got involved with the church, uh, joined in membership, and has really gone uh, uh, headfirst into the ministry here. So I'm, I'm thankful for him, and I hope that many other people are inspired by some of that leadership and in getting involved. Uh, two weeks ago, I talked about two mistakes that Christians make when it comes to the Christian faith. One of them, and just to keep you up to speed, if you weren't here two weeks ago, that's fine. One of them was the mistake of legalism the legalism mistake and that mistake is when people believe that you need something more than jesus to be saved right who knows that you only need faith in christ to be saved right that is all that you need you don't need to pass a certain moral bar you don't need to go through a certain ritual all you need is faith in christ amen amen but there's also another mistake some people make this mistake and it's called the license uh error and the license error says that, okay, since I'm saved by Christ, and since I don't need to do anything other than have faith in Christ to be saved, that means I can live whatever life I choose to live, no matter how sinful, no matter how immoral. But that's not true either. Because as we come to faith in Christ, he changes our hearts so that we desire to follow after him. We are made into new creations. And so we no longer live for ourselves, we live for God. Now, most of us understand this. Uh, many of you after that sermon uh, two weeks ago said that was very helpful, and some of you even said, yeah, we know that, and that's great. I'm glad that you know that. Many believers are somewhere in the middle of those two errors. We know that faith in Christ is all we need. We know that we can't continue sinning, but we're stuck in the middle. We keep having this attraction to sin. We keep going back to the same old habits, the same old problems, the same, same old hang-ups, the same old sins. We seem to continue to be attracted to that old lifestyle. We know it's wrong, we know it's destructive, but somehow it still has this allure for us. How do we overcome our attraction to sin when we get hung up on those addictive things? And I want to talk to people who aren't believers in here. You probably have the same problem. Even if you're not a Christian, you have behaviors and attitudes in your life that you know are destructive. You know you shouldn't do them. You know that they're immoral. You know that they're destructive to yourself, to your friends, to your family, to your relationships, to your work. You know that they are, and yet you still keep running back to them every so often. We all want an escape from this immoral attraction that we have. We all want that, but how can we get it? How can we do it? How can we overcome that? Some might say, well, you know, you just have to urge up your willpower a little bit. You just have to try harder. And yes, your will has definitely something to do with this, but what happens when you don't have enough strength? Some people will say, well, you need, what you really need is an accountability partner. You need someone to check up on you every so often to make sure that you're still going on the straight and narrow. And that can be helpful too, of course. But what happens when you learn to dodge that accountability partner? What happens when you learn to lie to that person? What happens when you decide, I don't really need to meet with you anymore? See, those are effective strategies. They can help, but we need something more. We need something greater. We need something deeper to help us to overcome our attraction to sin. We're continuing our series called uh, Design to Thrive. 
where, uh, you know, in, even in church circles, but definitely the culture, we think that we have to choose between what we want or what God wants. Either I have to sacrifice what God wants for me in favor of what I want for myself, or I have to sacrifice what I want for myself for what God wants for me. We seem to have this kind of decision in all of the things that we have to do. But that's not the case. When we understand God properly, when we understand his word properly, we understand that the more that we follow after God and what he has for us, the more we will thrive. We don't have to choose between God and ourselves. We choose God and the things that we want for our lives are thrown in as well. We are designed to thrive. God has designed us to thrive as we follow after him. And today we're going to see that we are designed to delight. The only, uh, the most effective way of overcoming our attraction to sin is to be attracted to something much greater, much deeper, much more satisfying. And that person is God himself. When we see God as beautiful, when he, we see him as all satisfying, when we see him as wonderful, in fact, when we see him for who he is, which is all of those things, our attraction to sin diminishes and our desire to go after God grows. We need a greater desire to conquer those small desires for sin and immorality. That's what I'm hoping to teach this morning. And we're going to see this in Psalm 119. If you've been in the church a while, you might know that Psalm 119 happens to be the longest chapter in the Bible. It's 170-something verses. So I'm actually not going to invite you to open the, uh, to that uh, book because we're not going to be reading the whole thing. I'm going to be taking certain verses from it and sharing some themes from it. And just a bit of background, Psalm 119, uh, the word psalm literally means song. What we're going to be looking at are pieces of Hebrew poetry. And the entire psalm is a meditation of delight in God's law. For the Hebrews who wrote this in the ancient Near East, for those people, they were talking about the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible. This entire book, or this entire chapter, is a meditation in delighting in the first five books of the Bible. However, for us New Testament Christians, and for us who, have, who are here after Jesus, we can take this entire chapter to be a meditation on all of God's word. When this chapter talks about delighting in God's word, we can take that to mean everything from Genesis to Revelation. And as we dive into this chapter, here's what I'm hoping to teach all of us today. One, the reason to delight, the need for delight, and how to fight for delight. The reason why we should delight, the need, why we need to delight, and finally, how to fight for delight in our lives. So first, we're going to look at the reason to delight. Why should we delight in God's word? This is actually a, a very interesting uh, question, because the Bible itself tells us to delight. It's a command. We're commanded to delight in God. We're, we're told, be glad, rejoice, sing praises to God, be happy, be glad, be joyful in God. It's a command. So obedience actually means being joyful. Isn't that strange? Isn't that interesting? True obedience means having joy in obeying. Now, that seems difficult to swallow, right? Does that mean I've just got to put on this kind of face? I've got to kind of pretend to have joy even when I'm not feeling it? Is that the case? Well, take a look at what the psalmist says in verse, uh, verse 14, and we're going to be looking at uh, several sections of this chapter. This is what it says, verse 14. 
I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Now, if I'm reading this right, it doesn't seem to me that this person is delighting in God merely because he's responding to some command. The psalmist here is simply delighting in God, delighting in his word, delighting in the treasure that it is. He says, as I meditate and as I look at your word, as I see it, I unearth treasure. Treasure so valuable that I wouldn't even trade all of the gold and silver in this world for it. Wow, we're supposed to have that kind of joy, that kind of delight in God's word. And that's what the psalm says again and again. Why should we delight in God's word like that? And that's what the next passages tell us. We're going to look at all of the reasons why this psalmist gives that he can delight in God and in his word. Take a look at what it says. Verse 5, it says this. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. The psalmist here says, hey, when I look at my ways, when I do it my way, when I ignore your commands, I'm put to shame. But when I follow your commands, my life is steadfast and it goes well. Now, you know that this is true in your life. I know it's true in mine. I, I mean, how many of you are, are married to someone and, you know, you've had this little problem. You're driving and the person in your passenger seat and yourself, you're having a little bit of a bicker. Okay, you're having a little bit of an argument. And at some point in your little argument, I know this is true of me, maybe it's not true of you, maybe you're all perfect and I'm not. But at some point in that argument, you're thinking, this would be a wonderful time for me to apologize. This would be a perfect time for me to say, you know what, I'm wrong, actually, and you're right. This would be the wonderful space in the conversation for me to own up to my folly, to swallow my pride and say, you're right. And just leave it at that. But sometimes I follow my own ways. And sometimes I'm spending that time that I should be apologizing to concoct and orchestrate a, a rebuttal, a really piercing jab at the conversation. Maybe I'm trying to think of like a, a, a one-up or something that will really hurt the person who's in the passenger seat. Now, if I follow my way, It'll feel good for about three seconds, and then it'll be terrible for the next 24 hours. <laughs> if I follow God's way, it'll feel bad for about three seconds, but then I'll be able to rejoice in that that argument doesn't go any further than it needs to. See, when we follow after God's ways, when we follow after his leading, we go down a steadfast path. When we follow our own ways and our own selfishness and our own pride, we always go down destruction. The psalmist here says we can delight in God's word because it does not put us to shame. Then he says this, I will walk about in freedom for I have sought out your purpose. Now I mentioned this two weeks ago, but I'll say it again. We always think that true freedom means having no restrictions, but that's not the case. And we all know that this is the case. The fish who is free to go on land isn't truly free if he chooses to go on land because he's going to be easy prey and he's got no uh, water to breathe. The fish who's in water, who's got the right restrictions of living in water, has the most freedom. And it's true for you and for me. 
We need the right restrictions to have true freedom. We all do. We all know this. We all live this out in our lives. There's a reason why we like it when there are police around that are hopefully not corrupt, but good police around who are helping us to follow the law because we have the right restrictions when the police are enforcing the law. But who gets to decide for you and for me what the right restrictions are? Like, that's great. Okay, I know. We need the right restrictions. I get that. But who gets to decide that? The psalmist answers that question as well. Verse 73, it says this. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. The psalmist here delights in God and in his word even more by saying, you formed me. You made me. You designed me a certain way. Lord, since you have made me, since you have formed me, Teach me your commands because you know what is best for me. You know what is best for humanity. You know what's best for us. And so I want to follow after you. Now imagine for a second you had a, you know, a, beautiful, a beautiful wedding cake. What's the device that you would want to use to cut up that wedding cake? <laughs> Hopefully a nice, sharp long cake knife. That's what you want, right? I don't know if there's a special word for that knife, by the way. There might be, but I don't know what it is. Now, you might think that, you know what could do the job quicker, easier, better? A chainsaw, right? So you, get, you go to the shed, you take out your chainsaw, you, you turn that on, and you cut up the wedding cake with that. But that chainsaw isn't designed to cut up that wedding cake. It's going to result in a disaster. And the same thing is true for your life and for mine. If we live our lives in such a way that it's not designed for, then our lives will turn out to be just as much a disaster as that wedding cake. And we know that from our personal lives. The more we stray away from what God wants for us, the more of a mess we make of our lives. We need to do that which God has designed us to do. We need to live in such a way that God has designed us to live. And then we will experience true freedom. God gives us the right restrictions for our utmost freedom. And the psalmist delights in God and in his word because of that. Then he says this in verse 96, more reasons to delight in his word. He says this, to all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. I just think that's such a beautiful poetic idea. He looks around and he sees perfection, maybe in a piece of music. That's just a perfect piece of music. Can't see how you can improve on that. He sees a beautiful painting and he thinks that's perfect. I don't know how you'd improve on that. Or take this for example. Let's say you see a perfect square. It's perfect. All the sides are the exact same. You can't really improve on that. But then the psalmist reflects on the word of God. And he discovers that the more that he dives into the word, the more he applies it to his life, the more he understands it, and the more that he sees in it, the more treasure is unearthed. The perfection in God's word is boundless. There is no limit to the good that we can unearth from God's word. He delights in God's word because its perfections are boundless. And then he says this, verse 105, your word as a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. God himself lights up the right way. Now, let's just think a second. What, what is a path? I mean, I think we all know what it is, but it's basically just a, a way that someone has made before you who knows the right way and wants to direct us in the right way. And so far as we go off the path, we do that at our own peril. And if we can't see the path, we're in trouble, especially for people in the ancient Near East, like the, our psalmist. 
If you weren't following the path and it became nighttime, you were open to all sorts of dangers. You could be picked up by some bandits, you could get robbed, there could be a wild animal that tracks you down. You needed to have a lantern or else you were in big, big trouble. You needed to have a lamp to light your way. But that is all a metaphor for our spiritual blindness. Because in our natural selves, we don't know where to go. We are spiritually blind. We don't know what is the best thing to do. We don't know what the moral thing is to do. We're kind of without a compass. We're blinded. And our culture has decided that since we can't see a path, there must not be a path. Can't see a path, must not be one. So you are free to go in any direction that you want. Can't see a path, so you are free to choose wherever you want to go. There's obvious problems that come with that. Right? What if one, two people, their paths, their supposed paths, intersect and they fight? What happens when one path goes straight off a cliff? What happens when one path goes right into the mouth of a beast? What happens if one path just goes in circles and ends up going nowhere? All of these paths don't lead in the correct way. And the psalmist here says, your light, God, your light found in your word lights up the correct path, the right path for life and life to the full both now and in eternity. But it's even greater than that, isn't it? As New Testament Christians, we believe in Jesus Christ, who is called the living word. He is also called the light of the world. And when Jesus came to this earth to save us from sin, he became for us a person who lit up the right path. If we want to know what the right way is, we look to Jesus because he is the light of the world lighting up the path for us. And as he took the path to Calvary to put all of the sin upon his own shoulders, he opened up the path to us for salvation, for all of us who have fallen off the path before. It's the wonderful thing about Christ. He is the lamp that lights up the path for us. And insofar as we follow him, we will also be going down the right path, not only for life to the full in this life, but salvation and eternity forever. The psalmist looks at all of the wonderful things that, that the word says, that the Bible says, and that who God is, and delights in it. And that's the reason why we can delight. Because the word and God is a treasure beyond treasures. That he shows us the right way. That he shows us how to live life to the full. And that he gives us eternal life, no matter our past sins. That's why we can delight in God. That's the reason to delight. But why do we need to delight? Why is that necessary to the Christian life? Can't that just be an add-on? Do I really need to delight in God's word? Or is it just something that I hopefully feel at some point? We need to delight in God's word. And this is how I'll show you. In Psalm 119, verse 92, it says this. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Trouble and distress have come upon me but your commands give me delight. The psalmist here says, I'm going through trials. I'm going through tribulations. I'm going through temptations. I'm going through bad stuff. And if I wasn't depending on your law, if I wasn't delighting in you and in your law, then I would have perished. I would have not had been able to make it through. Here's a question I think the psalmist and I think God would ask each and every one of us. If you just had Jesus... Would that be enough? If you just had Jesus and nothing else, would you still have joy? 
if you just had Jesus and nothing else, would he be enough? And if the answer is no, it is because we do not delight in God enough. We need more delight. We need to delight in God and in his word. By the way, that, that question I just asked you, for many people, is not rhetorical at all. I know that you uh, watch the news and I, you've, seen, uh, you've seen pictures of men who get the back of their legs kicked, their knees go to the ground on the beach, and they get a blade put to their neck. And in that moment, all they have is Jesus. And if it weren't for their delight and their love and awe of God, they would not be able to make it through that moment in faith. But there's something even more profound here, and it's this. All of us will go through that moment. All of us will be at one time, it will be our last day, it will be our last hour, it will be our last minutes. And in those moments, all of the accumulations, all of the wealth that we've gathered over our lives, that stuff won't help. Even all of the relationships that we have, those things at that time will not help. We will be in our last moments, and the only thing that matters, the decisive question will be, do you love God? Do you delight in him? We need to delight, because without that, we will perish in our affliction, just like the psalmist says. I know that you've you know, probably watched a, a movie or two that kind of has... Uh, a teenage girl, you can imagine this if you haven't, a teenage girl who's really into some guy, and that guy rejects her. And so she feels terrible about her life, she feels terrible about herself, and you can almost predict what she's going to do next. She runs home, she goes into the kitchen, she opens the freezer, and what does she grab in that freezer? The whole, you already know, the whole tub of ice cream. And then she goes ahead and eats that whole tub, right? The whole tub is gone. Some of you are laughing too much, okay? Um, eats the whole tub. Now, wh what's going on there? Why is she doing that? Well, she's got this hole in her heart. She's got this hole in her soul, and she needs to fill it with something that she delights in. And the thing that she happens to delight in is, well, ice cream, food. Now, the problem is what she is starting is a cycle of addiction. Here's why. Because she's filling up that hole with ice cream, with food. But the more she does that, the more she fills up that hole in her heart that came from whatever loss happened, the more she goes to food for delight, she's going to face the consequences of that. She's going to, you know, get bigger, perhaps. And then the source of her despair will be, co will be coming from the very thing that she's using to soothe her despair, right? Then it'll be this vicious cycle. And I know that's a trivial example, but there are worse things that you can put in place of that ice cream tub that people use. I don't even have to mention them. You know what they are. And people go to these substances, people go to these behaviors, they fill up that hole in their heart doing that thing, and then the very thing that they're doing to fill up the hole becomes the hole. And so they get into this vicious cycle. That's what addiction becomes. How do we stop this vicious cycle of addiction to sin? How do we do it? Because at some level, all of us have or are or will struggle with this. How do we stop this vicious cycle? And the answer the psalmist gives us is this. We need to delight in a greater, more satisfying thing. We need a greater love, a greater joy, a joy in God himself and in his word. Take a look at the next few verses here. It says this in verse 50. My comfort in suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. I wait for your salvation, Lord. 
and I follow your commands. The psalmist says, the thing that keeps me going, the thing that keeps me away from sin is ultimately delight in your commands, delight in his promises. Promises like the fact that God is with us no matter where we are. Promises like God is sovereign, is in control of all things, and he will work out everything for the good of those who love him. Promises like in the end, when Jesus returns and heaven comes to earth, everything sad, everything bad, everything unfair and unjust will become somehow magnificently untrue. The promise that we are saved despite the fact of our past sins, despite even our struggles with our ongoing sin, Jesus Christ saves us. We need to delight in these promises because only delight in God will give us the strength, will give us the stuff to persevere when temptation and trial hits. Friends, if we don't delight in God, if we don't love him, if we don't delight in his word, the first thing to go when life hits the fan will be our faith. That's the first thing that'll go. If we do not delight in him, if it's just a begrudging, if it's just an automatic, if it's just a ritual lifestyle for you, if it's not a delighting in who God is, it's the first thing that'll go when temptation and trial hits. We need to delight in God. We will perish in our affliction otherwise. And we will see the glorious riches of who God is. Now, hopefully you're tracking with me and you're thinking, how do I get this delight? I want it. I want this. I want to be able to overcome the sin that's in my life. I want to be able to overcome the immorality. I want to have delight. How can I fight for delight? Because it is a fight. It will not happen automatically. It will not happen just because of those well wishes. It'll happen because of this two-pronged approach that this passage is going to teach us. A two-pronged approach. And as you, go out, as you apply this approach, as you do this, God will bless you and you will see even slow progress, but progress in delighting in who God is. The first prong is this. We seek God for supernatural delight. Supernatural. You, you can't fake this. You can't make this up. We seek God himself for supernatural delight. We ask him to change us. We ask him to change our hearts so that we do delight in God. We ask him to do a miracle in our hearts, to grow in delight in him again and again. That's the first prong. And the second prong is this. We direct our wills. We direct our footsteps towards delighting in him. Two-pronged approach. We seek God to change us, and we direct our own footsteps, aided by God, to delight in him. That's what the psalm is going to tell us. This is what it says in verse uh, 18 and in other verses. This is what it says. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. The psalmist says, open my eyes. My eyes are closed without you. I am blind without you. There is nothing I can do. I need you, God, to open my eyes to the delight that is your law. Because I can't see it without you. I need you to open my eyes. Verse 36 Turn my heart towards your statutes and not toward selfish gain. The psalmist says, hey, if it's up to me, my heart's going towards selfish gain. That's where it's going to go. God, I need you to turn my heart because otherwise I have no chance, no shot. Verse 116, sustain me, my God, according to your promises and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. 
The psalmist says again, sustain me. I can't do this on my own. I can't make this work. I will go back to the trough of sin and not the cross of Christ if it is not you working in me. And verse 133, direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. This is the psalmist again and again reaching out to God, saying, God, do a work in me. I cannot do this by myself. And even if we see a little bit of progress, we thank God and we praise him because he has done the work in us. You know, even your internal desire to want to desire God is a work of God in your life. Even that is God working in you. So even if you have just the smallest desire to follow after him, seek him more and more and praise him when you see any progress at all. That's the first prong. And we see that clearly here in Psalm 119. But here's the second prong. We need to direct our wills. We need to volitionally follow after God, looking to desire in his word and in his law. This is what it says, verse 30. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I've made a decision. I've set my heart on going in your way. Verse 59. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. And I think this last verse I'm going to show you needs to be the mantra of every believer. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. That needs to be our volitional orientation. We need to say, Lord, whatever the word says, whatever is in there, I will delight in that. I will delight in your promises when I understand them, and I will delight in your promises when I don't. I will delight in your commands when I understand them, and I will delight in your commands even when I don't. And I will commit myself with my will to follow them to the very end. We need this two-pronged approach. Because on one hand, God will not automatically change us to delight in God's word. It's not going to be a snap of the fingers the moment we want it. That's not going to happen. But on the other hand, we can't just make ourselves want delight in God either. It's always both. It's always both. God working in us, God working in our wills to direct our footsteps to follow him. It's all due to God's faithfulness, to God's grace, to God's glory. But we still do, enabled by him, we need to direct our own footsteps as well. I put it like this, just to summarize. Only those who will seek delight in God's word will find delight in God's word. Only those who are cracking open that Bible, making it a pattern in their life to go through the book, to read it, and to discover the treasure there and to delight in it, only those who will seek the treasure in God's word will find the treasure in God's word. You might be thinking, why don't I have this delight? And I've got an immediate follow-up question for you. Are you seeking it? Are you in the word? Are you seeking the wonderful promises that are in there? Are you seeking God and asking him to change your heart, to delight in him? I don't have delight. Well, seek it. Ask God to change your heart and direct your footsteps towards him. And more and more, you will see, you will experience the delight of knowing God and his word. I want to encourage you. Most people, when they start running, they don't like to run until they get good at running. Most people, when they start practicing music, 
don't really like practicing until they get good at music. Most people don't like their first sip of coffee, but the more that they drink the coffee, the more they delight in the coffee, and they want to drink more of it, now they just can't get enough. The same thing is true in your devotional life, in reading God's word, in praying, and in following after him. The more you do it, the more God will bless you, the more you will find delight in him. And eventually you'll come to the place where if you miss your Bible reading, you'll miss it. You miss your Bible reading, you'll miss it. Because you delight in God and you delight in his words and you want to know more about his promises, more about his goodness, more about his love towards you. Friends, this is the defense that we need to overcome the sinful addictions that are in our lives. We need a greater delight in God and in his word. To close, I want to invite you to read something uh, with me. It's actually the verses that I had just uh, read to you. But I want us all, if you feel comfortable, if you want to do this, I'd invite you all to stand as we read these passages together. And I want to invite you to, uh, to engage in that two-pronged approach. First, we're going to read this scripture in prayer that God would change our hearts. And then we're going to read this scripture in prayer that we will direct our steps. Let's read this together. And as we do, uh, the band can come up as we read. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Let me pray. Oh God, help this to be our heart's desire. You, you in your glory, you in your goodness, you in your beauty, your son and his saving and his, and his salvation and his model for us and his teachings, your spirit and how he comforts us and how he changes us as how he encourages us and how he leads us on. Lord, we want to delight in you. Would you change us? Would you change us, Lord, that we might see you as most glorious, most beautiful, and most worthy of praise? Help us now to praise your name. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.